welcome to the Obsession Digression. A podcast that explores all of the cultural things we're obsessed with. I'm Sam Benarchik. And I'm Katie Walker. Hey, Sam. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, uh, doing fine. Just, you know, uh, working and reading and baking and watching TV and sometimes changing rooms. <laughs> Migrating from <laughs> the living room back to my bedroom. Oh, going man. Going up to the roof. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool that you get to go to the roof, though. That's cool. Okay, this is, like, a point of, like, scandalous controversy right now. So <gasps> I go up there in the mornings. I alternate between, like, two different workouts. So, like, every other day I do a workout, like, in my apartment. And then every other other day I do a workout on the roof. And it's beautiful okay. because... The weather's nice right now, and we have this amazing view. It's like 360 of, like, the entire city. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I like it. It's very peaceful. It's nice going up there in the morning. No one else is up there. But I'm seeing now more and more, like, random detritus and just, like, litter of, like, food mm. that's been spilled or drinks that have been spilled and not cleaned up. And I'm like, mm, I don't know what this is all about. And then my roommate Chris went upstairs one night, um... And he was like, I went upstairs and there were like, just like 10 kids up there. All like early twenties. Like it wouldn't make sense that like all of these kids live in our apartment building. It's a small building. And Mm -hmm. it seems like most of the people who live there are sort of like our age or older. Um, And so that also, they wouldn't be the right age to be like the children of people who live there. And Hmm. yeah. And we don't know. Who are these people? So there's this random gang essentially of, of, of hooligans who are but, taking over your rooftop. That's not okay. It is so funny because it's like this weird test for me because when I take a step back, I go like, okay, who really gives a fuck? Like, yes, these kids need to clean up after themselves. And if they don't live here, that's kind of weird. If one person lives here and they're inviting them over, like normally fine, you know, do it up. Mm-hmm. Who cares? It is like triggering. It was like the tipping point though, because like, I feel like we're all doing our best to like hold at bay. Like a lot of feelings of lack of control right now yeah, right <laughs> and that was just like the last straw where i was like what <laughs> and i was like, like tell me what they look like <laughs> and You're gonna, like... he was just like they're like young white kids i don't know what to say and so then i was <laughs> later that day i was like going to the elevator to go take a walk and i'm waiting in the elevator and this guy comes around from the other side of our floor I say, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, he's like, yeah, hanging in there. He's like, so glad we have that roof. Like, really just appreciative to have an additional, like, common space right now. And immediately I would turn, I was like, so how frequently would you say you've been using the roof? (laughs) (laughs) I was like a man possessed. I was like, tell me everything about your use of this alleged roof. And then... (laughs) And then he was like, well, I guess I haven't really used it or appreciate it yet. It's more like I keep remembering we have it. And then I'm like, oh, I need to go up and enjoy it more. And I was like, okay, he's off. All right. He passes. He's, he passes right, that's muster. one down. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's going to get to the point where like you get a lawn chair, you get up on that roof. And I you know. Just, you I was wait. like, is this how I become my parents? You know what I mean? <laughs> where I just start like espousing all of the merits of like private property and like, oh. <laughs> But truly, though, like, I went up there to work out um, Saturday morning, and there were just, like, broken, like, Doritos, like, everywhere, and I was so oh. livid. Oh, that's not I was not like, okay. this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. We have, so. we have kind of a communal space, and, like, we have a field next to our, like, house, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's, okay, admittedly, this has only happened twice because... There, there's literally only been two days here in the entire month that the sun has gone out, like come out. Like it's, it's like, really? it's really gloomy. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's cold here. It snowed last week. It's ridiculous. What? Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, but um, so it's become kind of like a communal space, but it's not like a huge field, and there are rules to how one. Like, like the rules of this unclaimed field, I think, are they need to be established because, all right, me taking a blanket <laughs> <All right>. out <laughs> and laying out in the sun is fine. I take up very small space in this huge field. Okay. People hitting golf balls, not okay. 
because then you're like preventing me from laying on the blanket and also <laughs> like sitting fucking, golf balls. How big could the field people. be that it's golf ball appropriate? It's not that it's not that big at all. It's used <laughs> it's owned by the college. It's used as like a small surplus parking lot. Um, but it's like all grass, okay? But like who the fuck was out there? They were. They, these people were out there hitting golf balls while I was laying there and I was like, this is that's not okay, it's not allowed. Um, then there's the guy who jogs, and I think like that's okay kind of. Except that he doesn't, like, jog just around the field, but, like, kind of, like, zigzags through the bushes and trees so that he'll, like, kind of, like, jump out occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, if he if he kept to, like, a predictable path, it would be okay. But I think he's breaking <laughs> field rules by also being unpredictable with where he is going to appear. <laughs> <laughs> Then there's the, like, little kids who keep playing in the dirt, and they're totally fine, except that, like, this one kid, he's so cute. He's, like, three years old, and he has lost two kites in the last week, and, like, they've, they're, like, stuck up in trees now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you just keep on trying, kid. You just keep on going for it. Um, so I can't wait until he loses the third kite. Uh, it's going to mm-hmm. be fun. So... Anyways, but, like, seriously, outdoors time for me has been so limited because of this stupid weather. So I've been in my, you know, my house the whole That's time, crazy. pretty much. I, yeah. didn't even, I just assumed it was warming up for you, too, because it's been warming up here. Uh-uh. Not to yeah. brag, we had a bunch of rain, like, last week, but now we've had just, like, really sunny days. And so I try Ugh. to, like, go for, like, at least one walk a day. And so yeah. it's been really nice to have that weather. No, I've been I I've had to use my treadmill every day, so it's been <laughs> awful. Treadmill. Um we like Ryan treadmill. and I ugh, hate it. Nailed it. Um so this is this might be too cute. If this disgusts you, I'm sorry. But I'll like tell you, you know how <laughs> uh, you know how um like Bark Anthony's like super hyper and just like runs around all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Ryan, Ryan and I have started doing this thing where we'll attach messages to each other on his collar. <laughs> so oh, throughout I the day that. he'll just like run in here and he'll have like a little message tied to his collar and then he'll that run is away. A really cute idea. That's very <laughs> sweet. I would not yeah. apologize for that. We also did an Easter egg hunt, like, just between Ryan and I, but we didn't have any Easter eggs, but we had a sack of potatoes, so we... <laughs> Wait, did you dye them? <laughs> no, we just... You just hid, just like, like, beige potatoes around? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we were like... Oh my god. So we had, like, 20 of them, and we hit, like, I hid 10, and Ryan hid 10, but then we were like, But how'd you wait, know whose was whose? <laughs> Yeah, like, do I just go find the 10 that I hid, or do I find the ones, like, do is this a competition? Am I supposed to find the ones you hid? Like, it, we we did not establish the rules for two-person Yeah, I was going to say, where'd you land comment. on that? Uh. Um, I tried to find his, and he tried to find mine. Okay. That's, so it, was, it wasn't a competition, which made it, like, much less exciting. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you know, it was a good 15 minutes of my day. <laughs> and you know so. what? What more can you ask for? Right, right. But I have been getting work done over over this this time period. I mean, I'm still teaching three classes, so that's a lot. Um, can I? And we can cut yeah. this out too. But can I ask, like, is it getting easier or harder? Is it more time or less time? Like, oh, it is, is so much more time. Really? So much more. Yeah, oh, that because sucks. like, because you know the students are putting in so much less time. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just like when you teach in person, you're like, all right, I've got a 15-minute mini lecture, and then I've got, like, I'm going to, you know, rely on body clues, and I'm going to put them in groups, and I'm going to, like, do this thing, right? (laughs) Body clues. Um, You know, like, whatever. Body language is what I meant to say. No, I know what you mean. No, seriously, dude, I am losing my mind. Like, the other day, I had bought, like, a thing of oranges, and none of them had seeds in them, but then this one orange had seeds in them. And I was like, this orange has nuts in it! And I was so mad. He was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I, like, lost the word. I lost the word for it completely. No, okay, I, but that's a digression. Yeah. I hear you, though. Cracking up. Also, too, dude, I am, like, been drinking so much more alcohol <laughs> than I ever do on, like, the daily. 
And how, so, like, how else are we going to get I'm through like, this? I you need know? to be careful, though. I don't want to emerge from quarantine with, like, a problem. There have been a few <laughs> mornings where I, like, emerge from my room and I'm like, oh, could use a stiff drink right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, only, like, four nights a week. Yeah, that's that's a good, like, it's, it's good that you recognize that you have limits. Um, yeah, exactly. But in any case, yeah, no, teaching, and I, I, like, I think everyone is experiencing this. It's so much more work because it's, I do, um, like, an hour-long lecture for each day for mm-hmm. each class. So that's six hours of recording lectures oh, each yeah. week. I see. So but you like, can't be like, oh, I'll just freestyle and, like, generate a conversation among the students. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. No, it's, it's, like, completely changed the format to where, like, I was going from teaching discussion-based courses to as if I were teaching one of those, like, big lecture things, right? Um, oh. And so it was just, it's been a mess. That's tough. So, yeah. But I but. did also <laughs> read all of Moby Dick, and <gasps> I yes. get it. I get it. So here's the thing. I want to talk to you about this. Oh, because yeah. And Queequeg, the best. Queequeg is the absolute best. Yeah. Um... I was mad because, like, right when I... So, like, I didn't... I guess what was going to happen, but I didn't know, know what was going to happen. But the there's a map at the beginning of my text, and it totally was a spoiler, because it was, like, ship sinks here. And I was like, <laughs> damn it! <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> I know! Like, how how's a map a spoiler? It's not okay. Um, but in any case, so I think what I was doing while reading it was trying to put myself in the mindset of people that you and I know that maybe don't even love it, but like you could kind of guess that they do. Like, does this make sense? Like they love the book. Yeah. Or like that they are the type of reader or what they are drawn to is like what Moby Dick is. Okay. Does this make sense? Okay. Mm, I'm not explaining myself. Like, uh, you know, the concept of code switching, right? Yes. Okay, so code switching is where, like, you, you know, kind of shift your your style of speaking, what you talk about, etc., based on the audience. Yes. I think I was doing that with myself while reading. What do you mean? That I was switching into somebody like, that would like Moby Dick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think you're losing your mind. (laughs) Why can't you just be someone who happens to like Moby Dick? I I don't think that I am that person. I don't think that... But you are. Take a hard look in the mirror, friend. You like (laughs) it. No, I much prefer my dissociative theory that I have here. I think... I think... I Like, I don't know how to say this. I really do think that I made myself like it because I adopted a certain... Now, that's interesting. Yeah, yes. I mean, so are you saying this is like, we've talked about this many times, and it really can't be said enough, all the internalized pressure to be like, prove your class when you're yeah. like in academia? Do you feel like it's rooted in that? Or this is more like just playing pretend or cosplay? It was cosplay. It was like broing out over it. It was like, mm. it was seriously like, fuck yeah, like whales. Shit. I've never thought about <laughs> whales before. And then I was like watching all these whaling documentaries and I was like reading really? into like the wreck of Essex and oh yeah, mm-hmm. man, like I not only read this book, I like, excuse the pun, I took a deep dive into <laughs> Wait, what was world. like your favorite whale fact? Favorite whale pa- fact? That Ooh, that's such a good one. Okay, so I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, all right? Okay. But the am- ambergris? Ambergris. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nope. Is that a kind of whale? It's no. It's inside <laughs> of a whale. So it's oh. it's it's like amber and then G R I S, which I guess is like the French way of ambergris? saying great. Ambergris, probably. You're probably right. Um, so you know, it's it's basically means gray amber. Um, mm-hmm. It's. So this is what's in all of our perfumes. It's the binding agent in <gasps> yes. all of our perfumes. Uh, it's whale poop. It's yeah. like it's found in the intestines of a whale. And okay. like so <laughs> Can I what tell we you are how wearing? I know this? Yes. It's in an episode of Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> 
remember when I was a kid, Whoa! one of them goes to work at a, like a Macy's counter and is supposed to sell perfume, and he keeps dropping that as like his fun fact. And <laughs> oh my god, I haven't thought about that show in forever. I know. I, it just, I cannot that believe show. that came right back to me just like that. I yes. Also, when right. I was in second grade, my second grade teacher, Mrs. Blackburn, R.I.P. Presumably, um, she was very old <laughs> back okay. then. Um, All right. She brought in um, what's it called? Whale blubber. Mm. I and now looking back, I have no idea where she procured this. So this what is something the? you can yeah. just get or what? But yeah, she made us all put on um, rubber gloves and then stick our hands straight into it so we could feel how like insulated our hands were by it. Dude, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like I know that's pr- like probably. You know, like, I'm not pro whale hunting at all, at all, but, like, you know, like, that, what a cool experience for you to have Exactly, learned. exactly. And then when um, I was in my first year of grad school, second semester, I took an anthropology class. Mm-hmm. And the professor did that stupid thing that I always hate when they do. They go, instead of a final class, why don't we gather together for a meal? Everyone bring something, and we'll just talk about our final papers, I'm like, um, hey, or like we can all just trust that we all have our own robust social circles and uh, just keep this uh, business and professional, you know? So then I was like, fuck, I had plans that night. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go just spend 45 minutes and then just get the fuck out. And we go there and then she's like, we all brought some food. And then she's like, she's cooking like the main thing. She hadn't even started it. So then we're like... Uh, she's cooking the main thing then we sit down and then she's like so there are only four of us in the class sorry crucial detail forgot to mention yeah she goes okay so who wants to get us started and i was like we're already an hour in i'm getting us started so i can set the tone and so i go why don't i'll go first i keep it to like a tight 12 minutes nice okay like that's how it's done goes to the next person you know who this is they're an asshole they talk Uh for 30 minutes the next person uh, talked for 45 minutes. The final person, this guy, I forget his name, started talking about an epiphany he had in the middle of our semester that he wanted to change his course of study so that he could devote himself to studying whaling ships and the subculture. <laughs> no. And then he started telling us that he already sat his parents down and explained to them that he was going to dedicate his life to studying whaling ships, and that meant that he was going to take up a new dangerous lifestyle of, uh, I guess, embracing vagrancy and living on these ships for a number of years so that he could do a proper anthropological study. And then he started to tell us about the reactions of concern, grave, deep concern that his mom and dad had about this and how he was counseling them and how, he was, if he was honest, he's scared too, but he's ready to take it on. And I was like, what the fuck are we doing right now? (laughs) And then he pulls out of his backpack this folded up map. And he unfolds, 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 unfolds. And he's drawn all over it. It turns out it's not a map. It's just like a giant thought bubble. You know what I mean? Where people like iterate. Yes. And he hadn't even gotten to his paper yet. And I said, I'm so sorry. I just realized the time. I got to go. And then I just stood up. I walked out. And I never looked back. I'm so proud of you. Oh, my God. I'm willing to bet anything. That man to this day has never set foot on a whale. (laughs) Or he's still on one. That's what I would like to believe. (laughs) Like, I'd like to believe that he made this drastic decision, got on a whale ship, realized... And I was like, um, so change of heart, guys. Um, I, I, I want to say, I want to say that he gets like really seasick and just is not cut out for the lifestyle at all. And yeah, he's stuck. He's stuck on it for years. Years and years. <laughs> um, years and years and years. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, that was a that was an interesting dive into just like this work of classical literature that I never you know read before. I also, I, I I hope this isn't sounding braggy. I'm just telling you that I'm taking on these like really strange big texts, and mm-hmm. so I read the Old Testament this week. Oh yeah. It was, yeah, like the whole thing. Like the like the weird Definitely stuff. Definitely goes downhill. <laughs> Once I, you uh, leave the narratives into the prophetic books, you're like, oh, oh boy. Yeah, the prophetic stuff is strange, man. It mm-hmm. is like wow. I had no idea. Like, you know, it, it's so funny how selective 
Um, my, you know, like Sunday school quotes from Isaiah have been. Oh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's been interesting. I'm on to the Apocrypha now, so we'll see it's how that so goes. It's so funny, though, because I love, it, I don't remember how this came up in a conversation we were having, but I got to name drop um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> Look at you. I was like, from the book of Daniel. <laughs> Yes. The, okay, those, yeah, that's his three friends, right? They yeah. get thrown into the furnace. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like Daniel. Genesis, obviously, is like an amazing book. Also, can you explain this to me? Okay, it's this is so <laughs> Maybe, strange that we're not. going into <laughs> biblical theology here. Um, so there's this prophet named Balaam, and he yes. rides this ass, and mm-hmm. the ass sees the angel of God, but Balaam does not. And then Balaam prophesizes later so that that happens and then later on um he's like israel is going to succeed i'm sorry i'm not going to give you a good prophecy um and they succeed and they like you know win some sort some battle or whatever but then throughout the rest of the entire old testament i'm not kidding you it's like in every other book they're like and then don't be like balaam and it's like, why? <laughs> why are you so mad at him? I don't understand what happened. There's like this whole mystery surrounding this guy. And I'm I I'm obsessed with him. Like I'm I'm like, why why were the Israelites and the Judeans, why were they obsessed with this guy? I don't Do you know, know. But I that's so funny. I never really think of Balaam there. I always think of the the talking ass because that's like I think outside of the serpent, the only other talking animal in the Bible. It is. It is. Which is so interesting to me. Yeah, it's super interesting because then it's like, well, okay, if if we're going to read this, you know, very like strictly as polarizing, then like the serpent, the serpent, excuse me, Satan is is the super evil one. But does that mean that the ass who sees like the divine is like representing goodness? So then is like our symbol of... I guess it is, right? Because then it gets taken up in the New Testament, like, of humility and, but also wisdom, right? Like, so that the ass is, like, actually, yeah. oh, this is good. I, I'm thinking about this a lot because. This is good. <laughs> I know this is super strange, but, like, I, so I'm writing a chapter in my in my book on instinct about animal instinct. And oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And so, anyways, it's, it's, this is all to say. I'm, I'm like really into like all of this animal lore stuff right now, and yeah, so it's been a wild ride. I, I'm like super. I don't know. I don't know. Like reading the Old Testament and Moby Dick at the same time, and being quarantined and and going through this kind of weird moment in our lives that's totally unprecedented, right? Like, yes. It's a, it's a weird combo. It's, it's I don't know how I'm yes, going to emerge everything from this feels, psychically. I think the same thing. I think, like, is this, like, you know, people who lived through the Great Depression, like, even years later when, like, America bloomed into, like, the most prosperous sort of, like, yes. mid-century. Well, not for everyone, but for, like, a lot of white people into that. Yeah. Um, and even still, they, like, saved and hoarded everything because they're like, yeah. no, like, you can't be too safe. Like, are we going to be like that about things? Like, not necessarily oh, totally. around hoarding, but around, like, something. Where it's just, like, we're going to well, be around so social distancing about, like, yeah. one hang up for the rest of our lives now. Where I, I think handshakes are done. I think that, like, Okay, that blew my mind when, done. like, Fausti was like, honestly, we should just abolish handshakes as a cultural yeah. system forever, like, in perpetuity. <laughs> it's like, oh. I agree. Uh, you're like not a fan. I so I'm not a fan because with women handshakes are weird. I was gonna say it must suck to be like a woman navigating handshakes because it is yeah, growing up at least it was signified to me as like a quintessentially masculine thing that women right. women only did when they were doing quote unquote masculine activities like going to work or having yeah. like an important meeting and it almost in some ways like signified the fact that they were out of place. Right? They, yeah. they had to perform like as men or something. It was very well, confusing just as a spectator thing. when I was a kid. And I imagine like growing up and internalizing and navigating that must suck. Dude, the weirdest thing for me. So it's actually, so with men, 
handshakes have not been in, been a problem. I like I even practiced. I think I told you this. I practiced a firm but not too firm handshake with Ryan before <laughs> I went on the job market. Yeah, I forgot you did tell me that. I totally did. So, but anyway, so that's fine. Like I like that. I totally I get that. Like the, the men thing is is fine. The weirdest thing is when you have a handshake with another woman and she like squeezes the shit out of your hand. And uh, this oh has God. happened to me many a times. And it's like, like, is it a power play? Is it just that you want to convey vigor or like, does this, like you just don't know? Like it's, it's You're super conveyed. weird. Excuse me, ma'am. Are you trying to convey vigor right now? <laughs> um, okay. I told you my language is, is, I'm having trouble with No, I here. love it. I'm not <laughs> and, making fun. And I do wonder, too, if, like, the, the archaic style of the text that I've been reading is <laughs> filtered through. Can um, I tell you one other thing, by the way, about the Old Testament that blew my mind? And yes. it's exactly the same thing. Is like, you assume, like, because both of us have a shared experience in that we went to Sunday school, like, weekly. I went to church three times a week, like, as a kid for years and years and years, always being taught Sunday, like... Mm-hmm. You know, primarily, especially as your kid, Old Testament, um, because that's the more narrative-based one. Like, pretty much the only thing from the Old Testament you're taught, or from the New Testament, is, like, the Jesus and crucifixion and resurrection. Right. But So right. I just assume, like, okay, I've got a good handle on the Old Testament. Like, I know it pretty well. I finally read it as an adult in college, and it blew my mind. This The scene in, um, I think it's 1 Samuel, might be 2 Samuel, where Samuel has died. And David is on the run from King Saul, and he doesn't know what to do. So he goes to a witch and asks the witch to summon the spirit of Samuel to consult with him. Yes. And yes. it works. The witch of Endor. Yeah. And it works. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, I was, it's... I just thought, like, I felt almost, like, betrayed by, like, everyone who taught me growing up. You know, you go, like, wait, so the Bible is essentially affirming, like, the reality of, like, witchcraft. And we're just all choosing not to talk about this. Yeah, no. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And the Witch of Endor's story had, like, I mean, like, especially in the Renaissance, I mean, entire books dedicated to this one chapter. Yeah, well, I mean, because it's a lot of debate about, uh, you know, did she actually raise uh, Samuel? Does she raise a demon? Does she actually see Sam? I mean, like, just pages and pages of, like, the, the ontological ambiguity of that particular scene. And obviously it's always paired with Exodus, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Um, but, like, yeah, reading right. through the, the Old Testament this time, or not this time, this was my first time to read through it all, but um, I noticed how often and how persistent the, you know, like, um, diatribes against sorcerers and witchcraft was... Um, but you're so right then that that one episode is like this weird outlier because her, her power is not questioned in the Bible, at least, right? Like it does happen. It's just that subsequent interpretations have really freaked out about it, essentially being like, like, how could she have lawfully or unlawfully done this? Like what, you know, like what was this thing? Exactly. What does it say about the afterlife? Because we know that, like, the the Jewish individuals don't believe in, you know, heaven and hell like we do. Like, all of that is just all mixed into it in really interesting ways. Um, I also love Samuel's reaction to being awoken, where he's just like, like, listen, I'm dead. Like, fuck off. Like, solve your own shit. (laughs) It reminds me of, um, in Shakespeare, there's one play where they, um, they raise a demon, and he's just like... He literally is just like, I'm tired. Which play? <laughs> it's Henry the Sixth, Part One. No, Part Two. Excuse me, Part Two. Um, the Duchess of Gloucester raises a demon, and it, the demon just is like, I'm tired. I don't want to <laughs> be here. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, but anyways, yeah, I I don't know what to make of that particular episode, but it is wild. Yeah. The whole Old Testament is wild. The whole Old Testament. And now is I'm reading wild. now I'm reading the Apocrypha dude and there there's this book called <gasps> Tobit. Have you ever yeah. read Tobit? Uh, Tobit is that the dragon is, one? No, Tobit is the one where um, this woman keeps having demon husbands. What? 
Oh, I need yeah. to read this. Yeah, like every Where night. Where she's like, God damn it, again? <laughs> yes. And then like, finally Tobit comes in. Tobit's a, a human. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to use fish to defeat the demons. I'm not going to say anymore. He just, he uses fit, the power of fish. The power of to, fish? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Well, that's There's our tie-in. Yeah. There um, is? Oh, to Moby Dick? Yes, sorry. Not I to... I was like, to use Bayou? <laughs> <laughs> not to use Bayou, alas. Um, but speaking of which, we should we should, we should should move from our, our journey through. I know. I'm like, I don't know if anyone else gives a shit about what we're talking about right now. I know. I'm enjoying it. I'm sorry. And I, and I hope I didn't come across as braggy by saying, look at me, look at me for having mm-hmm. read these two things. We're all just trying to, this is good, just good idea and encouragement for like, if someone's trying to think of something to do with their time. Yes. Like, read, I mean, saying read the Bible right now feels a little weird because of <laughs> the response that most of our Bible reading Americans are having right now. But, you yeah. know, all the same. Yeah. Literary perspective. Dick. Yeah, or Moby Dick. Yeah. yeah, Moby Dick is great. I recommend it. And if you want to talk more about, like, my psychic experiences with it, <laughs> I'm, I'm more than happy to, to be diagnosed, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so, but let's shift gears. I mean, I mean, it's somewhat related because we've been talking about witchcraft, and now we're moving to Eve's Bayou, which has a... I would say tangential relationship to witchcraft or the, the linkages aren't as overt as hmm. have been our other films of the, of the season. Well, I think what's interesting to me is that when I started, it's, it's a different sort of tradition of witchcraft in that it's anchored in voodoo, which is I think the first right. time that's come up in this season. Um, yeah. But it's also interesting to me that there, we have so few voodoo movies. Like, I was even trying to yeah. look for, like, lists. Like, Wikipedia has a list of voodoo movies. And to be fair, like, Eve's Bayou isn't on the list. And so there's probably others that are left off. But there's uh, fewer than 20. Um, wow. So most of them are, like, very silly. Um, or just, like, low-budget movies, you know, all of that. Um, That's interesting. So, yeah, it is interesting to think about that. I couldn't help but think of um, American Horror Story has a season mm-hmm. called Coven. Um, have you seen that one? Yes. That's the only yeah. one I've seen all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. And so they do voodoo stuff in that one, too. But, um, like, admittedly, readily allied voodoo with kind of, I guess we could say, like, um, a Western um, white person understanding of witchcraft, right? Like... Um, that show in particular seems to, I don't know, to, to acknowledge difference, but then to erase it very quickly. Yeah, American Horror Story is, like, a mess, always. Yes. But yes. They, they definitely, I like, it. I think, in if I remember correctly, like, the voodoo is there more just to initially, like, elucidate, like, some of the racial kind of fractures and battle lines um between like everyone who's capable of witchcraft in the show because voodoo is of course like comes out of a black tradition um and i guess like then by contrast it's just an assumption that then like the sort of like western witchcraft is inherently like white tradition which i don't know enough to say one way or the other if that's like usually true yeah well i think that i mean it gets really interesting because um when I think about witchcraft and race, I can't help but think about Tichuba um, from the Salem witch trials. Yeah, right. Right? So... Um, and that is, again, like voodoo inflected, though, too, because there's, like, voodoo right. dolls at play. Right, right, exactly. So it gets... I, I don't know. Like, it's... Um, when you move to the American context, I, I think, like, it loses its... Hmm. I don't know. It, it becomes more hybrid, obviously, and it's interesting that that hybridity is is present from like the very first witchcraft trials that we've had in our country, or the first like famous ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think that that there um, is an attempt by narrators, historians, storytellers, etc., to to draw out those differences. And I'm not sure that they are that, I mean, I, I, I just, at their core, right, voodoo and witchcraft both believe in an animate cosmos, one in which you can manipulate 
nature or spirits or both to affect change and often that change is malefic right yes i and so i'm coming i okay again american studies like i there's i know so little about anything let alone this topic so my exposure to like voodoo and like hoodoo with the h is like primarily through the lens of like 80s um black american literature which are usually like the hoodoo tradition as a way of looking at the sort of longer legacy of oppression and and also true in 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 turn this sort of like promised or expected sort of revolution um right that like at least according to those authors and i've really never had the opportunity to like dive into this further but like hoodoo goes actually back to the story of like moses and in that case, Moses is this interloper who steals um, power and then imbalances or inverts the larger power structure, which leads to the oppression of, like, following that down the line. Um, huh. Yeah. That's super interesting. So I didn't know that history Again, at all. I feel, like, so self-conscious even, like, talking through this. It's been such a long time since I've read, um, like, mumbo-jumbo or, like, Ishmael Reed generally. Um, huh. But, Yeah. No, that's really interesting. So, um, that's, uh, now I, I want to rethink like what I just said. Right. So like, yeah. Cause I think what you're saying is, is right in that, like the structure of it. Right. So it is mm-hmm. like uh, a means of interrupting current, like, um, I don't know, structures or strictures even of power. Sure. By invoking but, like a darker force. Yeah. But I think that what you're pointing to and what I think is important to acknowledge here is that, you know, witchcraft or, or voodoo, et cetera, have distinct kind of traditions and, and, and also then aims, right? So that, like, voodoo, for example, is, is meant to, in part, be a kind of, like, uh, a political statement. Does that make sense? Like, and I mean that in a very loose way. Like, yes. um, the... No, I think that's it's right. It's a way to counteract oppression. Do you is there that same valence in like um like European like witchcraft writing that it's also uh, like about taking back what is kind of considered to be like someone else's or I don't know, does it have to do with hmm, I don't know how to ask this in a way like that doesn't sound like I just I I truly don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but okay, I guess I don't like either. I guess what I'm trying to say is when we've talked about European witchcraft in mm-hmm. previous episodes or in previous seasons, some of how you've described it intimates almost like a total separatism, right? That like witches are living away from society, out in nature, doing their totally own thing, not really tied into like the economy, not, you know, any of that. Um, whereas, or they're a burden on the economy, right? That they oh, are, really? that they're, yeah. So, or, you know, that they're like, um, demanding certain types of charity that, you know, society mm. doesn't necessarily want to provide, right? Interesting. Um, yeah. So, but you're, I mean, I think the, the general point of, of outsider status is there, but the aims of, of European witches, right, are, are normally described as, you know, being based out of greed or out of, you know, mm. desire for, not, I mean, just like, it's not, it's, it's so sad when you read witchcraft trials because it's like, I wanted a demon or a familiar so that I could get some milk, you know, it's, it's not like so that I could take over, um, you know, the nation or something like that, unless you're King James and you think that everyone's out to get you. But, you know, for the most part, it's, it's really mundane. Right, that it, that actually, however much like authors attempted to, you know, I don't know, ascribe these these desires to witches, that what they really wanted was just like sustenance, you know. Man. Yeah. Hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring us down. Um, no. But I think what you and I are wrestling with is is the fact that like the the European witch tradition is 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 so prevalent it's it's like it's just referring back to your remark about you know they're not being even like a lot of voodoo movies right that the the the, this alternate tradition 
is 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 kind of submerged in our culture, right? That that we don't actually learn about it in you know college or or high school classes. We don't have filmic representations of it, and at the well, same time, like. How that many of us of, have read Arthur Miller? You know, like all of us, right? Like, yeah, that's an interesting. Well, and that list too of like twenty films, you know, do feature voodoo. Like one of them is like Weekend at Bernie's too. You know, yeah. And so like it also points to the way in which like that sort of like particular um, tradition is just very highly trivialized as well. But yeah. you can also read Zora Neale Hurston. You can read some other, um, like, authors who are writing about it or trying to write, like, ethnographically about it that are really interesting. Yeah, this makes me want to, like, do a lot more research into it, which I should have done <laughs> before our episode. But, um, uh, nah, you know, read Moby Dick, so. Um, yeah, you've done enough. <laughs> In any case, um, I am prepared to talk about this movie, though, uh, in terms of its its startling kind of commentary on on magic, but also on childhood, right? On yes. Well, can we start with this question? Because I'm curious what you think about this. What is the structure of this film? Like, mm. it, I think like it it's like if you had to choose, like, is it like a revenge structure? Is it coming of age? Um, like, is it a horror story? Like, what is it? I feel like it's coming of age. I I wanna I wanna fall on on that line mm-hmm. because, so my my viewing experience was, I, I I struggled with it. I really did because I was grasping after what the genre was and what the tone was, and part of that was that there there's genuinely like humorous moments in it there are very sweet moments in it there are moments of pure joy right like there are practical jokes in the film mm-hmm. but then of course the subject matter itself uh gets to be so dark and um so i think it's it's this young girl kind of coming to terms with reconciling with these different perspectives and of course it's all told from her perspective having grown up right so the movie begins by saying that memory you know is this kind of um you know sequence of images right that that you know sometimes indelibly print upon the brain and the movie ends with that too and it's eve as an adult speaking to us yeah uh so it's it's about I guess it's about memory, but then the movie ends with you know her saying, but nonetheless, like even that, even memory or truth in these categories of of who's right, uh, become twisted depending on which perspective you adopt. Yeah, and so, do we know who she's talking to, or is it just a sort of generic voiceover? It's a, I think it's generic. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's confessional in a way because she says the summer I killed my father. Yeah. Um, so and then you're like that's how she starts the movie right by saying when I killed my father and so like the whole buildup is like how is she gonna kill him? And, well, the interesting yeah. thing too is that like it ends with like a lot of ambiguity around like the power of voodoo or witchcraft. Yes. There's no ambiguity about the fact that she is directly involved in her father's death. Right, right. I'm not saying, like, I'll stop sort of saying, like, she's to blame for it, but, like, she does set the pieces in motion. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, So, okay. This movie, uh, do you want me just to, like, give the brief, like, the brief overview of, like, who's who here? Yeah. Yeah? You want me to do it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. So, there are three kids. There's an older daughter named Cicely. There's Eve, the the narrator and the the character from whose perspective we look at everything. Uh, Then there's a younger brother named Poe. They're the children of a very, or not very, but but, uh, an affluent, affluent, excuse me, um, family. Their father's a doctor. He's played by Samuel L. Jackson. Um, And their mother's, you know, gorgeous. And her name is Roz. She's beautiful. Like, so strikingly beautiful. I know. I couldn't help but, like, just, like, gaze upon her the whole time. Yeah, right. Um, So, and I really want her dress that she's wearing at the party. It's, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's, like, one of the most beautiful dresses I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) So, 
so there's, you know, this family. There's also the aunt. Um, what's her name again? I just forgot it. Oh, I don't remember. Let me pull up IMDb. Aunt. It starts with an M. Hold, please. It is... <laughs> All right, the mother is Sicily. Nope, that's the sister, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. the sister. And Moselle. Moselle, thank you. Okay. The mom's name Aunt- is Ross? Is that right? Roz, yes. Yeah. Okay. So Aunt Moselle, Moselle excuse me, um, is, she has this, the gift of sight, right? She has the gift of, of communing with the spirits and, and seeing, um, you know, one's future and one's, you know, inner thoughts through the power of touch, right? So she, you know, grabs others' hands and can see what's happening. Um, so she is, is intimately involved with the family she's you know often around she's often um in really inappropriate ways telling eve things about her past and like i i wrote down so many times where like this was not a story that she should tell a young child but she nonetheless (laughs) (laughs) does um anyways so so eve kind of learns about um voodoo etc Initially from her aunts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the that's the kind of familial setup here, and the problem is that the father, the doctor, uh, you know, just I mean, he he's basically he sleeps with a lot of women. He sleeps with another married woman. Um, he has an ongoing affair with her, um, Mrs. Moreau, um, and you know, so the the children in different ways learn about this, um, you know, propensity of their father and are deeply, deeply disturbed by it. Uh, in part because it threatens to undo the familial unit, um, but also there's their sense of like uh, ownership over their father is questioned and allegiance to their father. Um, in so many different moments in this film, you see the two daughters actively uh competing for their father's affection and when one daughter gets attention the other just seems to fold in upon herself yeah um so that's the kind of i guess like that's the broad stroke setup there um and yeah i'll let you take it away from there sam (laughs) well it's hard it's like so picaresque because i kind of or maybe it's not at all i don't know it's so hard to tell like what is like the plot like because it's like so essentially we watch is like, I don't know, man. Like I really enjoyed the movie, um, but it's very sort of like baggy and loose in a, in a sense that like we like we don't fixate on any one thing to, uh, to function as like the through line for the film. It sort of like um, takes into account like a few different sort of components. So there is the father is like philandering, the mom is she's sort of suppressing her own knowledge of this and, and, and kind of working through her own feelings of powerlessness. Right, there's mm-hmm. something she can control, and so when her sister-in-law, Samuel Jackson's sister, who has that gift of sight, kind of has a vision of a kid being hit by a bus, like one of the ways in which she takes control is by forcing the kids to spend like what the entire summer in the house. They can't leave it all. Right, and which then you know like, felt a little to... too real. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, well, then that in turn leads to like a battle for control between her. And, and this weird rivalry between her and her daughter for her father's, like, attention. Right, right, exactly. So, and I guess and that's meanwhile, what brings us all the way back. Yeah, and so that's why I, I can't help but think this is coming of age just because of these disparate individuals, right? So, like, even though the way that I've set this up sounds as if it's all about the father, I think you've rightly pointed us back to, no, there's a lot more kind of going on within the whole like the entire familial structure here far more about the women yeah yeah so so actually it's it i think that it's eve trying to navigate all of that right i mean her her mother is in some ways distant um and you know like she's kind of trapped in this you know she's trapped in this house with a sister who won't um you know, play with her or be kind to her. She's trapped in a house with a mother who's kind of neurotically watching over them. Um, 
and with an aunt who then, you know, says, like, there's no afterlife, and, like, it's it's a lot, right? It's a lot for a, what is she, seven, eight years old to, to think of, and I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm interested, too, in, like, well, what is the function of magic here? And maybe it'll be easier if we compare it just to other movies, because there are three different women who rely on at least the hope that magic is real. So the mother mm-hmm. is told by the, there's another woman with a gift of sight who everyone's sort of afraid of in the local market. And she mm-hmm. tells the mother in three years, your life was going to fix itself and you're going to be much happier. But for the time being, just focus on your children. And that's also mm-hmm. what affirms for her that she should be like obsessively keeping them like locked in the home. Um, and in one sense, like, jumping to the end like Samuel Jackson is killed by a jealous husband of the wife he's cheating with and so mm-hmm. that is a roughly I don't think it's a full three years later though I don't it's think so some time later yeah so her life does kind of fix itself in that sense that she's now free of this sort of torturous relationship um and then the youngest daughter needs witchcraft to like make things right or voodoo to make things right where she knows because of her father is sort of like sort of compulsive sexuality at that point in the movie mm-hmm. is the reason for the older daughter having to go live somewhere else because according right. to the oldest daughter she's been um essentially raped by her father or he kind of attempted to and then hit her and it's led to this sort of deep chasm um right. and then of course there's it's sort of a little weirder for the aunt, and we can talk about that more in a minute but i guess what i'm interested in is is there is this need for voodoo to come in and fix the kind of problems that are actually are paper over essentially problems that are more deeply symptomatic of just like social structures like the I feel like such a freshman saying this but like the patriarchy you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah, what's needed no. is actually just like a sort of like social revision more broadly but yeah. for the time being like magic or voodoo or the possibility that it's real even getting to practice it and it not being real like its function is just to offer the hope that it could write things in some small way yeah no i think that it's you're absolutely right because the the obsession with the father um extends to like even himself believing that he is you know like impervious to to any sort of censorship or to you know what I mean like that there is a sense in which he literally just kind of flits around and um he's so brazen with his you know affairs that like his daughters keep trying to visit him while he's working and he keeps being like we'll go outside and I'll be there in a Mm -hmm. minute and it's clear that he's you know like sleeping or hitting on women or, or whatever right like um so I think you're right. I think this is a what can um, women in a society that is so dependent on, you know, this male figure who is revered, right? He's, he's actually the very opening of the movie, or not the opening, but uh, when they're at the party, someone even says, oh, you must be so proud to have um, your son be a doctor to his mother, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like this... This sense of elevation where he's, 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 he's untouchable in a way. And he can do whatever he wants um, because of, you know, being a doctor or being, you know, a successful man. And I think that you're right. That this is, this, that in some ways this movie is deconstructing that. That it's, it's, it's showing that, uh, that, you know, he has brought about his own death in many ways and that you know one Mm -hmm. of them has been through this utter disregard for the women in his life including his daughters however much he says his daughter yeah yeah exactly um does that make sense interesting yeah no absolutely i think to go along with that too like the other thing here like there is like speculative magic and power in voodoo but then there is like a very real power in like words and language that also Mm -hmm. comes about and affirms itself which in some ways is more hopeful because it is more tangible and real but also much more dangerous right because Mm -hmm. essentially the oldest sister um i just saw her name Sicily, sicily tells eve that the reason she's leaving is because late one night their father tried to kiss her and touch her and when she fought back he hit her and she needs to go away and so mm-hmm. Eve 
full of anger, goes to the market, runs into the husband of the woman that Samuel Jackson is sleeping with, mm-hmm. um, and tells uh, Mrs. Moreau. So she runs into Mr. Moreau, essentially, and then kind of intimates and drops a hint that her father and her are spending a lot of time together, and tries to, she tries to tell him under the guise of like a naive disclosure that they're having an affair. Right, right. And she I think then, he knows. I think he, like, I think he's always, I feel like he knows. I feel like yeah. everyone knows, but that in some ways it's this little girl who's, I mean, she's, she kind of taunts him when she yeah. hints at this affair, right? Um, that that she does bring about, you know, the, the ca- catastrophe here because she says it in such a way, right? Well, and then the, the last kind of piece of that thread is also then like so the father is killed by the jealous husband Cicely can now come home because Samuel Jackson's dead at which point she admits that or doesn't admit but what is it it's through a letter she that finds Samuel Jackson a letter written. yes yeah so in so which he says that Cicely came on to her and he was pushing her away right and oh my god was I actually legitimately shocked by that like that yeah. <laughs> revelation I was not expecting whatsoever um, but what is it so, revealing like what's the revelation well I it, it puts into doubt yes his guilt as being a child molester right and so it, it mit- and I hate to say it but it does it mitigates his potential um you know, justified death, right? Um, or it doesn't mitigate it. It, um, it problematizes it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it puts a heavier burden on Eve because she has brought about this not, I mean, for, you know, an adulterer, for a problematic male figure, but no longer for a child molester. And, of course, she is one of the few children in a movie filled with adults who are all responsible for their own decisions yes. <laughs> you know what i mean like yes. and so like the people who are like having affairs and deciding to commit murder and all the things like eve is not responsible for any of that even if she is like that engine mm-hmm. you know like it's right. almost shakespearean in the way in which she sort of moves pieces around um yeah which is interesting. yeah and so i mean it's it's a, it's a tough it's a tough conclusion like it's a it's a really hard ending to the movie because of questions of culpability, of, you know, reminding ourselves, like you say, that it's a child who's, you know, refracting all of this. It's also through, you know, memory that all of this is being recounted. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough is, is basically <laughs> my conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I I feel like I'm freshman now. Like uh, it's 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 hard to think about these things, but it is. Um, and in the, some and sense, then, like it puts things in conversation with season of the witch, right? Because that's another yeah. movie in which like witchcraft, its own like validity or efficacy is never affirmed in that movie, but it is used as an alibi, um, at the very least, for a sort of, like, violent sort of fight against this sort of, like, oppressive sort of patriarchal structure, right? Where, like, the witchcraft is, like, the means by which, like, um, I forget her name now, can justify actually killing her own husband. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I can't help but think of, like, Macbeth at this moment. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> no, say more. But, well, because the weird sisters, right, um, are... They're, and actually, interestingly, they're not, they don't call each other witches in the, in the play. But, you know, it's, it's the question of, of do they cause Macbeth to kill Duncan? Does Lady Macbeth cause him to, you know, like, who's to blame for, again, just to go back to what you said, the power of language here or of, of wishful thinking in a way, right? Of, of having something fulfilled that you earnestly desire and I think that goes back to this movie which is you know did she bring about this death because of the power of wishing for it right or or through magical assistance does that make sense Wait, or no say that one more time okay so the I, I just I can't get over the question of culpability here um, so like is Eve 
does Eve bring about, or, or does magic work in this movie in a way in which it's really about wish fulfillment and about the power of language, like you said? Or is it more demonic? Or is it more supernatural than I'm, I'm reading it here? We don't know. I think the one, the one other piece, though, that we have is like something to like think through to help us get maybe closer to answer that question, though, is also the relationship between the two women with a gift of sight. So yes. they both get visions, but there's also an implication that like those visions still need to be interpreted. Right, and there is a mm-hmm. lot of leeway and ambiguity in the act of interpreting those visions, and so yeah, um, right. So they see a child hit. It turns out it's actually not one of their kids who's hit by the bus. And then the other woman, I don't remember her name, who has the kind of white face paint on, when she yeah. reads the bones for the sister, she says, "Well, you're a man killer. Like any husband you take on will die, just like all the other lovers you've had." Um, mm-hmm. But there's ambiguity because she then meets this man who wants to be with her and she's like, well, I, we can't be together because I have this thing, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I'm a man killer. And he's like, that's stupid. Like, no. <laughs> and there's also, an implication that, is... that maybe there's relief there, but we don't actually see what happens to him. That is the plot to Practical Magic, by the way, also. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Um, Sandra Bullock's character is, is known as a Black Widow, right? She's cursed as... Um, Never, like, any that. man that she falls in love with is is bound to die. Uh, and the, the movie is about, in part, about her overcoming such a curse. I think maybe Nicole Kidman also, like, her sister in that movie has the same curse or something. But anyways, yeah. yeah. Um, it's about overcoming the Black Widow curse. So, anyway, I just throw that out Interesting. there. Interesting. I, I don't know. know I didn't know. I don't even know which movie came first or, or if they're in conversation or not. But, um I couldn't help but think of that. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So, I and what's unclear too to me is is whether she legitimately does overcome that curse, or like at the end, the 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 aunt Moselle, um, as you said, meets this man and decides to marry him. And she's kind of speaking to Eve near the the end of the movie. Eve's father has has already died. And she says, basically, maybe I'll overcome it this time, or maybe I'll just go down with him. Uh, meaning, like, maybe, hopefully this time, if he is to die, I'll die alongside him. So it's, it's a mm-hmm. really melancholy and, again, inappropriate thing to say to a, you know, seven-year-old child. <laughs> but I don't know. I It's... Ah, I, I really struggled with, with making sense of the the magic in this movie mm-hmm. but i also enjoyed that i like that yeah it's just sort of like this unsettled kind of thing yeah i agree i agree it was it's much more thought-provoking i thought it was much more clever than a lot of the films that we've we've seen where it's just like you know like teen witch where she's suddenly like oh i put on this necklace and oh, now my friend witch. What yeah and yeah. now my friend can rap <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. And now my um, English teacher's in jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So, I loved this movie, but I I don't... I, I, again, I struggled with it, as, as you can tell. So, yeah. I don't know. That's my take. Great movie. Yeah, I, tough movie. I really liked it a lot. I enjoyed it. I thought it was very sort of, like, lyrical and poetic in cool ways, and... I also like love the kind of like southern Louisiana setting and all that, and I don't yeah. know if it was actually in Louisiana itself, but that's sort of like aesthetic. The bayou, yeah. Um, yeah, big fan. Cool. All right. Um, well, Sam, I feel like I've already talked about my obsessions for this past <laughs> week. Uh, ad nauseum. So, so uh, I want to hear in ample detail what you are obsessed with. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm doing a lot right now. I'm, I decided last year that 2020, I was going to learn how to bake. Yeah, that's right. It would be really fun. It struck me that it would be this sweet spot of like, it's still educational because you're learning about like science and chemistry of like how things work together. And then I also thought like, oh, it's cost effective, right? That's a lie. It's very expensive. It turns out. Yes. Um, But also like, it's just like soothing and therapeutic and it's largely been true and I've been really enjoying it. And now since quarantine, like 
had a lot of opportunities to sort of practice. So I'm learning how to do a lot. And you brought up Easter uh, Easter egg hunting before, and um, I learned how to make, for instance, like traditional like Italian Easter bread, where you like bake ah. a dyed egg into the middle of it, and they're really cool. And so, um, what else did I make? I don't know, like croissants and hand pies and stuff like that. So what about really donuts? Good. Have you I tried donuts? Make, yes, I made Polish donuts. It was a good first effort. I definitely would need to do them again. They're just okay. so bad for you that, like, I don't like making yeah. them because you, I can't bring them anywhere. I can't bring them to work and just, like, leave them out for other people to eat. Right. That's, like, right. why I haven't tried to make any, like, multi-tiered cakes yet, which feels like a really cool challenge. But, like, yeah. I also just can't have a cake sitting in my home. Um, I think, honestly, like, looking back, grad school I think most of the reason why I threw parties was just to give my like, <laughs> desserts a chance to like you know to like serve you all desserts instead of like eating them all myself <laughs> <laughs> um, um but I would say like there's that I'm doing some reading I'm reading like Isabel Allende right now but the thing I want to say is my like obsession is um that new show um on FX Mrs. America Oh yeah, it's about, I've seen um, that. Or I haven't, Phyllis Schlafly clashing with um, sort of feminist movement um, as they attempt to pass the ERA, and it's so good and riveting. And there's all kinds of obvious contemporary echoes, but the acting's really good, and it's yeah, great. Right on. That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, I cannot wait until I move. And then I won't be too, too far away from you. We're going to mm-hmm. go to Alcatraz, and then you can bake me a four-tiered yes. cake, and I will eat half Deal. of it. Deal. All right? Deal. Yes. All right, my favorite type of cake is German chocolate cake, just so you know. I know. Um, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so that's Eve's bio, which we, you know, struggled through for different reasons. Uh, now I want to go read up about voodoo. I encourage all of our listeners mm-hmm. to do the same. And yeah, we're almost done with this season. We've got one more film to talk about, and it is The Craft. We even made it a chronological just so we could end with a movie you love so much. Yes! It's going to be so weird. So you've never seen it, right? I have, have seen, seen the first half. I never, I've never seen the second half because I thought. Oh asleep. man. Oh man. All right, we'll get so, ready for here it. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.